could pay £40 for a full-day accent workshop. Oh, I saw that. So I messaged it to Bev and said, how long do you think before they paid double my money for me to leave? <laughs> she replied, three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> you can do other stuff, John. You have some other strengths in improv. Can you name them, please? <laughs> <laughs> you make everyone else look really good. That's true. That's, that's, that's one. A, that's the I'm most a, generous event. I'm the I'm most generous improviser <laughs> on the planet. <laughs> but what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Fascinating. Get away from her, you bitch! I'm Batman. Do or do not. There is no tomorrow. Welcome to episode 106 of the Nerdfest podcast. This week's nerds are... Ian McLaughlin. Peter Johnson, John Farber, and I'm Hazel Chandler. Today's show is a new recommendations special, so we'll be giving you our honest opinions of the things that we've been enjoying recently. And I say that as much for our audience as I do for John Farber, who regularly forgets what this feature is supposed to be about. I like something this week. Ooh, awesome. Let's start the show. I'm really paranoid about putting my coat can on because every time I do it, it makes that noise. What do you announce every time you're going to do it? We could put a little Diet Coke advert in. Like, we could get some sponsorship. Oh, do you remember those? They were all builders in uh, jeans and yeah. no tops. Oh, yeah. Or people cleaning windows. Is there a word for sexism when it's the other way around? Still sexism. Still sexism. Still sexism. But you feel there should be something more specific somehow. <laughs> well, there's misogyny and what's the opposite of misogyny? Misandry. Misandry. According to Dominic Raab, you can be misogynistic for both. Okay. Whether it's a man against That's a woman or a woman against a man. Word. <laughs> Ian, you haven't been with us for a while. How are you? Very nice to be back on episode 106 of the podcast. It's amazing you've done 106 of these now. Mm-hmm. What have you been up to apart from getting ill uh... and having a lobotomy? <laughs> it was actually a botomy, not a lobotomy. Okay. I've had my bum reduced, uh, which is really nice because it was quite, it was quite big. I couldn't get in the car. Uh, I've been, uh, I've been good. Uh, uh, um, my partner and myself are busy. Uh, we've just formed a, a new charity, and we're building a, a venue. And what is the venue going to be doing? So the charity is called Boho Arts, and we're creating a venue that has workshops, a theatre space, offices, cafe, bar for the community uh, to come together and explore what making art is about. It could be filmmaking, it could be theatre, it could be visual arts, but it's, yeah, it's going to be a lovely place. And much needed in Newcastle. Much needed in Newcastle. Mm-hmm. And anything you've been watching recently that you've been enjoying? I've been trying to catch up on all the things like Picard and Disco, which I was out of the loop for a while, which is okay. Well, Picard is, Disco isn't. Disco isn't, is awful. Uh, Picard's quite fun. I've seen quite a few interesting, more serious things and documentaries recently, which have been uh, fascinating. In fact, I watched a great one last night, a, a rockumentary, which is Before We Was Us, which is the madness story, which oh. is really fascinating. Because it's all about real working class roots and these kids coming together and you know, things like our house in the middle of the street are directly related to actually their childhoods. So that's definitely worth a watch. It's called um, Before We Was Us. What's the first sign of madness? Sugs coming up your driveway. <laughs> <laughs> so that's better. <laughs> it's the simple ones. All right, so time for some recommendations. Ian, why don't you kick us off? Yes, I'll gladly kick you off. Uh, as well as catching up on recent uh, sci-fi and various things on TV, 
I've discovered a, a really interesting new streaming service called Pause TV, which celebrates independent filmmaking. How do you spell that? P-A-U-S, as pause without the E, dot TV. And it's got a massive library of hundreds and thousands of short films, longer films, documentaries, comedies, all kinds of stuff. And what's great about it is it's totally free. You can watch it all free. But if you want to, at the end, you can tip or, or give a little prize to the filmmakers themselves, which goes directly to them. There's even non-fungible, non-fungible, non-fungible tokens you can buy. So it's a great way of celebrating and supporting emerging filmmakers and helping to support their career, which is fantastic. So I'd, I'd recommend you all look at that. But the thing I wanted to recommend from within Porsche TV is a, a short movie called Paul is Dead. Now, I don't know if you all remember, but there was a, a very famous conspiracy theory, um, which still kind of lingers a little bit to this day, that Paul McCartney from the Beatles died on the mm -hmm. 9th of November 1966 in a car crash, and they replaced him with a lookalike. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's mm. a ridiculous conspiracy. I mean, I think the moon landing fakes is probably more believable than <laughs> Paul McCartney dying in a car crash and then replacing him. Yeah, but why did he look slightly different afterwards, though? Uh, <laughs> After that day, if you look on the footage, you'll see he's got a slightly different nose. Mm. He probably fell over. He's not from mm. Liverpool anymore either, is no, he? No, yeah. the accent just went completely. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny you're saying that because this is what this short film, Paul is Dead, is about. It imagines if this story was true. And it's set in a cottage in the Lake District in 1966, where the Beatles decide to go for a, a musical retreat. Really, it's a drug-fueled weekend of sitting together in a, in a small cottage. They wake up on the Sunday morning... And Paul McCartney is dead. He's died of an overdose. And so they sit there panicking, what the fuck are we going to do? So they go to the local pub in the Lake District. They look over and they see a young farmer who looks exactly like Paul McCartney. <laughs> exactly like him. And so they convince him to join the band as a lookalike. And that's the, the basic concept of the short film. It's absolutely hilarious. It's, it's dirt cheap because what these films are, but it's, it's really funny and really well thought out. So Paul is dead. Go watch it. So does the real Paul McCartney in the short film look like Paul McCartney. Well, yes, because the, obviously the actors have to look a bit like Paul McCartney. Mm. So is it the same actor playing the farmer or do they have to it's, find... No, it's the same actor. They don't have to find a look like. They have to find two. Actor. Yeah, it's the same actor, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> they have to find someone who looks a bit like Paul McCartney yeah. and someone who looked a bit yeah. like the person that looked a bit like Paul McCartney. It got very complicated. What's nice about it is they, they kind of inhabit the characters. They don't do like straight um, impressions, mm. Mm -hmm. uh, but they really inhabit it. And then, and then it becomes halfway through it when they... They've decided to recruit the fake Paul McCartney and then they have to figure out how to dispose of the real Paul McCartney's body. It then becomes like a Beatles movie. Right. Like Magical Mystery Tour. And it's, it's done in that kind of style uh, with some fake Beatles songs. Uh, yeah. It was a lot of fun. And you can find all that kind of stuff on this platform. There's some amazing emerging filmmakers that you can, you know, you can say, oh, you're the future. So I would definitely recommend Pause TV and Paul is dead. They were saying 93% of movies are independent movies, as opposed to Hollywood movies, but only 3% of them make any money. Yes. Mm -hmm. I have friends who are looking into making short films at the moment, and it's very difficult to find a way of actually making money out of a short film. Mm. So hopefully this would be some way of doing it. Hopefully so. And there's, there's various sort of big organisations who have pledged to, uh, to match fund as well. So if I give a mm. pound to a movie because I really enjoyed it, just a pound, a pound, then that'll be matched by these big companies. So it's a way of, if not financially securing these filmmakers, it certainly gives them um, confidence. Mm -hmm. And then there's stuff being seen, because like you say, I mean, there's so much stuff made all the time, which never sees the light of day. You can put your film on, on YouTube or wherever you want to play, but you know, who's going to see it? But this kind of curates and brings together all these different films. And it's, it's, it's backed by some amazingly big actors as well. 
It's evidence to take to the next pitch as well. Like yes, yeah. raise this absolutely. Much money. Yeah, so it's mm. definitely worth a look. And you know, you don't have to pay if you don't want to. If you're tight, f- do you pay? What? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> I actually did pay two pounds for Paul is dead. That's very kind of you. Yeah. Obviously, it then gets you money for completed funds. But if you're a first-time filmmaker, it's not massively helpful in terms of getting the funding to get the film made in the first place no it's not that's not what it's about mm-hmm. it's about it's about celebrating your hard work you know bringing people together probably for you know a five pound budget and a sandwich in the back of a van yeah. like guerrilla filmmaking and celebrating that and just giving it its platform so people can grow because most filmmakers will start mm-hmm. off with no money no budget at all what's great about this as well um you know most film students, if they're studying, you know, their end product is the graduation film, like um, George Lucas with the THX 1138, is it? Mm-hmm. And so it's a chance for people to see people's graduation films and for, also for producers and yeah. companies to look at that space and go, oh, you're interesting, maybe we'll get you, bring mm-hmm. you over here. So, yeah, it's great. Although it does cover some short films with more recognisable actors, like I, I saw one with Hamish Patel in, for yes. example. Yeah. So th- it's not all student level. So. No, it's not all student level. There's some very professional level stuff. Um, and like you say, there's some very well-known actors in some of the mm-hmm. movies. Some of it is very glossy, very well done. What I love about it, the way it's created is really nice. It's, you, know, you can just go like a, a short five-minute gap while you're on a train, um, a longer story, mm-hmm. you know, a mini feature. Does it have algorithms that give you recommendations based on what you've watched? It does. It does all, the, all that kind of thing that you would expect. Rishi Kapoor was the, the founder of this, who's an independent filmmaker himself, and I think, it's, I think what he's doing is great. We should all support it. Yeah. Mm. I've not heard of it, but I will definitely be, be, be checking it out. I mean, there's a, you know, there's, there's a lot of shite on there. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's great for John. Of course it is. Yeah. <laughs> but there's an awful, an awful lot of wonderful stuff mm-hmm. as well. And even the shite's interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm. Rather than go down a rabbit hole in YouTube, go down a rabbit hole in Paul's TV and okay. you'll be much more rewarded. Mm-hmm. I saw an odd one called The Crack about what looks like a bunch of street kids. And they look like they're doing drug deals, but in fact it's conkers. <laughs> busy doing it with. <laughs> There's another weird one as well, which is a retirement home for time travellers, uh, which is really interesting. Andy's going to love this. <laughs> <laughs> Are there enough foreign ones for Andy? There's stuff from all over the world in every language, every kind. And there's got sections that celebrate uh, women's films as well, not just um, women in films, but uh, women filmmakers, producers, mm. sections and stuff like that. So you can find pretty much whatever you're interested mm. in on this platform. I quite enjoy Netflix, some of those. They've done a few little compilations, mainly sci-fi things mm. of short 20, 25-minute films mm. that are always obviously much bigger budget, I think, mm. than a lot of the stuff that's on here. It's interesting to get away from the idea that a film has been like an hour and a half or two hours, mm. and there doesn't seem to be that much of a showcase for short films and things. No. So it sounds yeah. good on that basis. Some of the major streamers like Netflix have picked up certain films mm-hmm. from Pause TV and mm-hmm. then put them onto their platform as well. So it is a springboard potentially for a wider audience. Mm-hmm. Hope they're paying them. Yes. So what do you make of the idea of NFTs? Obviously, you deal in sort of cyber threats and various other things. And like what that. does the word fungible mean? <laughs> and how much money would you give me for my picture of an ape? That you drew yourself. Uh, I drew myself, but you can have a gif of it for fifty grand. What is unique about this ape? Uh, it's it's got three hairs on its head. Mm, salt, <laughs> <laughs> and not where you'd expect them to be. <laughs> what was the question? <laughs> uh, NFTs. How much of a rip off are they, and why do they exist, other than idiots? <laughs>
I mean, in this case, I believe the NFTs you buy represent a certain number of frames of the film. No idea. Which means, in theory, you then own uniquely those frames of the film, so you have a part of the but film. But you don't, you never own copyright. It's like, didn't, didn't, mm-hmm. didn't a group get together and buy a copy of the original copy of June? Yeah. And then they thought they owned the rights to the movie and it didn't turn mm. out that way. Mm-hmm. But what is fungible? Come on. And then how can you non-fungible? Fungible is when you do pay money for something, but in exchange you have um, an infection. <laughs> From what I understand, you can buy a thing. Okay, so I, I make a nice picture mm-hmm. of a cat using cat paw prints. And I can put that online and lots of people can buy it and they kind of own it, but don't own it. I think the idea is that it's unique, isn't it? So that only one person owns it. I think lots of people buy, some things are bought by one, but some people like, mm. like a thousand people could own the same thing at the same time. No, I think one person owns it and then everyone else just right clicks and selects copy. Right. Yeah. So like real life then. Yeah. But it, it does sound like it's a bit like buying some kudos rather than anything mm-hmm. else, isn't it? It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a personal gratification thing. Oh, look, I, yes, I own a copy of the Banksy. Mm-hmm. But you don't. <laughs> I thought they were trying to, to do it more as an investment was the idea. You can sell the right to not really own something for more money than you bought it for. This is mm-hmm. why we think it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it it's like the people who um, buy stars and so they can name them mm. after their long lost love. Mm-hmm. I bought Brad Pitt. <laughs> He doesn't know. How much did he cost? <laughs> 20p. It does sound a bit like snake oil, doesn't it? Yeah. Really, yeah. It's a thing that we all buy into, but really at the end of the day, it yeah. doesn't mean anything. Not real. Or not has any value. Yeah. You know, at the end of the world, what are you going to do? You're going to run online and grab all your things that you don't own under your arm and put them in the cellar. In the inevitable zombie apocalypse. Yes. yes. In the virtual <laughs> cellar. In fairness, I'm not sure a Picasso would be particularly handy either. But yes, NFTs. Now, n- non-fuckable tokens, <laughs> so you can buy the right mm-hmm. not to shag someone. Yeah, I, I, I got kicked out of London Zoo. Did you? Apparently it was a non-fuckable token. <laughs> <laughs> took three guards to pull me off. <laughs> so how many Dead Sixes pop stars out of ten who might still be alive? For the um, Pulse TV streaming service, I would give it um, 10 out of 10 dead Pauls. For Paul is Dead Movie, I would give that 10 out of 10 because it's just so much fun and a silly idea. And they obviously had a load of fun making it. It may not be perfect, but it's it's a good way to waste 13 minutes and 40 seconds. There's no toucan nearby. (laughs) So, Hazel, what you got for us, Lee? Read. You have to do it in that accent all the way through. No, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to talk about Severance, which is a relatively new show on Apple Plus. It is streaming weekly and we're getting to the end of its nine episode run. So it will be available soon for anyone who likes to binge their TV. It stars my favourite, Adam Scott. And it's got a really great cast as well. So uh, Zach Cherry, Britt Lauer, John Turuto. Christopher Walken, Patricia Arquette and Trammell Tillman. And it is directed by Ben Stiller and Aether McArdle. Adam Scott plays Mark. He is known as Mark Scott in his non-work life, but Mark S in his work life. And his work life and his non-work life are very, very different. And that's because he's undertaken a procedure called severance, which separates your memories and your experiences between work and home. 
So Mark works for a company called Lumen, um, and this is where many other severanced employees work. So they come into work as their normal selves. They go into the lift, and something that is implanted in their brain activates and removes the home life personality and the memories, and they become, uh, it's known as their innie version. What severed people call their work selves is their innie, and then their non-work life is their outie. <laughs> this is making sense, yeah? On a weekend, do they shake it all about tea? <laughs> so they, they work and they yeah. play, but they have no memory of either thing? Exactly. Oh, ah, right. Yes. So Mark works in a department with two other people, both of whom are also severed. We're not really sure what they do, and neither are they. Their job is to look at numbers on a screen and highlight when those numbers don't feel right. Mm. They have another colleague uh, called Pete, but they're told um, in the first episode that he no longer works there and Mark, the new head of the department. In comes Helly, a new recruit, and Helly has just undertaken the severance procedure. Her innie is not very happy about what her outie has done and (laughs) she's constantly trying to find ways to become unsevered or to resign. But her outie constantly denies her request. So is it reversible? Well, you might find out. Okay. Mark's life on the outside is pretty depressing. We're told that his wife has died, which is why he got the severance procedure, because he wanted to escape his thoughts for eight hours a day. But things get a bit complicated when he meets Pete in the outside world. But of course, Mark has no memory of who this person is, even though they were best friends at work. The company Lumen is clearly up to some kind of dark shit. Um, The corridors, they're all vast and white. They're all designed to keep people feeling isolated and as though the outside world doesn't exist. And things start to get revealed about the company, including the hierarchical structure, which is where Patricia Arquette comes in as a boss. What a performance she, (laughs) she has. It's amazing. And because the innies have no concept about human life, They speculate about the company, but they have no idea the impact of what they're doing or who they even are as people. They're afraid of the company because if they do step out of line, they have to go to the break room, which is not as relaxing as it sounds. It's a very mysterious, very weird thriller, um, and it started to go to some very, very weird places. It is taking its time. It's very slow paced. But I'm staying with it. I'm, uh, I'm intrigued and I'm look- I look forward to the latest episode each week. It's got such a tightly focused tone and everything on the screen is deliberate. So the colour choices, the costumes, it's got a clinical aesthetic and it is very unsettling and very captivating at the same time. I also have no idea when it's set. The computers that they're using at Lumen, they look like they're probably from the mid to late 1990s. Mm. They're huge the outside world feels very dystopian and futuristic. I'll probably put the outside world maybe 30, 40 years in the future. So I don't know what's going on there. Also, it provokes a lot of deep questions about free will and isn't capitalism deeply troubling? (laughs) But with Adam Scott's character, he's a very much an everyman. So he's very kind of naive about things. So it's a really interesting take on that. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Has anyone else seen it? I definitely want to. Uh, I've seen the trailer. It did look intriguing. My my only worry about it, which I want to say with these kind of series, is that does it end up being a lost 
where there's no real end to it mm -hmm. and they're just building on it week by week and it becomes more convoluted and more confusing and you never really get a satisfactory ending. This is this is my worry as well yeah. and I, I couldn't tell you yet um, because I've got about three episodes to go but I'm hoping. Nowadays we've got much less of that because things are much more conceived to be one lump of something which tells a story and then they mm -hmm. continue it if mm -hmm. it does well rather than just being designed to suck up time like American TV used to be. I guess the issue as well is um, it's asking the audience to come up with a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. So any ending that they do have will probably be different to what the audience has built up in their mind. And it's whether that's a good or a bad thing. Is there an upside to some of this in that some people suffer from the effects of their job mm -hmm. in their normal everyday life? This means they won't have to have that impact on their private life. Is, is that explored as well? I definitely with um, Mark's character, because you're with him in his home life and his, and his work life. It makes you think about these kind of things, because when you've done a day's work, often you need to have that time off to relax mm -hmm. and, you know, just get outside of the work bubble. But the people who are at work never, ever, ever leave. Mm -hmm. All they know is work, but they're still human beings. When you agree to the servants, are you guaranteed to be the outer? What? <laughs> well, I can, I, it's because you know if you, if you essentially split yourself into two, almost. The, so yeah. the outy um, makes the decision to undergo the severance procedure, mm -hmm. um, and then the innie has no idea why you did that. They just go to work and they understand that the outy has so made they, that decision. Do they not have memories up to the point of severance? Nope. They, oh, right. they have no idea what human life is like on the outside. They have absolutely no idea about how society works. So you're essentially condemning a person to a living hell of staring at a screen mm. for the rest of their lives. Yes. And this is what Helly cannot understand. She has no idea why her outside person would do this. And her outside person, you, you, you hear from her occasionally because she um, appears on video. Mm -hmm. But she's like, no, you, you are not a person. You do not exist. You are at work. Get on with it. Deal with it. But surely we mm. are the same person. That sounds really interesting. It sounds yeah. intriguing. Feeling. And fingers crossed it might pay opposite. off. I hope so. Yeah, it might come uh, turn up a couple of weeks going, know, oh, guys. I, yeah, no. Because <laughs> I really enjoyed Yellow... Do, have you watched Yellow Jackets yet? No. Yes, no. I've seen all of them. Mm. Seen all of those. And that had kind of headed towards the same thing at the end because it was a great series, really well done. But at the end, you just go, oh... I've heard, I've heard um, he's got a five-year plan for that. Has he really? Yes, it's well, They always say this. They say it'd be lost as well. Five-year plan. went on forever and then just... Just mm -hmm. fizzled out, didn't it? Yellow Jackets have enjoyed the journey, though. It's great. It's really well There's done. lots of really good stuff about it. Because I'd heard you groaning and complaining about it. I was forewarned. I was expecting. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, obviously, Ben Stiller directed. And did he write as well? I Hopefully, we're guaranteed he won't actually be in it. Because <laughs> that's normally a... I've not seen him yet. A negative. Christopher Walken, though. Oh, he's mm -hmm. great. You've got Benzel and you've got um, Adam Scott, who's primarily a comic actor. So is it like, is it a comedy in some parts or would you say it's fairly grim? There's a very sort of dark side of acting that a load of comedians yeah. are really good at doing. Um, Robin Williams, for example. Um, Adam Sandler and Uncut Gems was great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, tonally it, it, it's more dark, um, but sometimes there's a... <laughs> a <laughs> <laughs> One of the weirder things about The Batman, which I went to see a week or two ago, 
and you've just finished it. <laughs> yeah, it felt like it. You're going back in for part two soon. <laughs> <laughs> There's just so little humour in it, which is mm. odd. And what humour there is, is like really, really suppressed and hidden and camouflaged. So you don't realise till 20 seconds later that there was a joke hiding somewhere mm. within a scene. And there are only like three gags in the entire movie. And when they come, they're just such a surprise. It's like you've been whacked over the head with a wet fish. It's very, very strange. AKA John's stand-up gig. Yeah. <laughs> what, the joke's being few and no, far with the wet fish? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, he hits you over the head with a fish. Oh, right. That is the stand-up routine. Did you know it's impossible to, you know that noise, this noise? Yeah, it's impossible to make that noise. Try doing it with two, <laughs> two, two sides of your face at the same time. <laughs> I think I do it with one side. <laughs> Impossible to do two at the same time. <laughs> I wish we had this in video. <laughs> I don't think I do it one. It's like I, I can anybody um, wink with both eyes because I can only do it with my left. So I can only wink Isn't at that Ian. A blink? No, no, no. no. You're serious? I can, you can only wink with one eye. <laughs> I can't get in. Do the other one. But if I was trying to like Go do on. a joke to try John, it. I'd be see like, "Try and do it." <laughs> That's the wrong eye. All right. Do, eye. Okay, so try, That's gotta be can genetic. you blink with both eyes at once? What? I can. That's you, a blink. Yeah. That's a yeah. blink. Okay. It's not a wink. Can yeah. you do that and hold the other eye open? No. <laughs> 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 That's gotta be genetic, isn't it? Like rolling your tongue in a shape. Mm-hmm. Gotta be genetic. I'm deformed. So, <laughs> can you roll your eyes? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Roll your R's. Oh, I thought it was something else. I did say something else. Yeah. Now, can you roll your arse? <laughs> I want to sever this conversation now. How many in the outies shake it all about is out of ten? <laughs> what do you give it? I um, eight. Eight. So far. Eight ins, hmm. eight outs. Shake it all about. Yeah. yeah. Who's next, Uncle Peter? I'd like to talk about Peacemaker which is a new TV show from James Gunn, the director of Guardians of the Galaxy. It's a character featured in his The Suicide Squad movie, and he wrote all eight of the episodes and directed three of them. As in the movie, Peacemaker himself is played by ex-wrestler John Cena. Cena? I barely... (laughs) Barely knew her. (laughs) (laughs) He wants peace really, really badly. So much, he doesn't mind who he kills to get it. Peacemaker is supposed to be a supervillain and a jingoistic killer and can even be a bit of a bully. But he's honest about who he is and he's trying to change. And Cena plays the character as more likeable than you have any right to expect. What really helps us understand how he came to this place is his horrendous neo-Nazi dad, played brilliantly by Robert Patrick. He's aided by a few minor characters from the movie and a few new ones, such as Daniel Brooks, who you may recognise as Tasty from Orange is the New Black, and together with his pet eagle, Eagly, and Vigilante, who's a childish sociopath who idolises him, they make up a makeshift team called Project Butterfly. It took a little while to get into the rhythm of the show. There are a few places where Gunn seems to think two characters shouting insults at each other for two minutes make an entertaining scene, but the characters are more watchable than you may think from the descriptions, and the show as a whole is anarchic, funny and inventive, and keeps you guessing constantly where it's going, as they throw spies and alien body snatchers and a heap of other crazy stuff into the mix. A standout is the title sequence, which is a dance number performed by the entire cast in an incredibly deadpan way to a hair metal song called Do You Want to Taste It by Wigwam. It's deliciously awkward, even the CGI eagle doesn't quite hit its mark in the choreography. It's available on HBO Max in the US and arrived on Sky and Now TV a few days ago. 
Uh, John, I think you might have seen some of it. I've seen four and a half episodes of it, and I'm really enjoying it. Mm. I think John Cena's great in it. I don't know a great deal about him as a wrestler, but he's certainly kind of got the charisma and really good comic timing. You're right about it. It can be a bit shouty at times. Mm -hmm. That's my probably only criticism, but I'm really enjoying it. I'm really enjoying the plot. I'm intrigued to see where it's going. Lots of interesting side characters. Um, everybody's got their own little arc and is given some screen time. Yeah, I re- really enjoyed it. Louise enjoyed it as well, and she did not like the Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. So she kind of came in not wanting to enjoy it. But <laughs> <laughs> I think it's won her over. I think it's an odd thing, because when you describe it to people, it sounds like you're trying mm-hmm. to put them off. <laughs> Whereas really, it's much better and more entertaining than it sounds if you describe it. It's got a good strong plot line going through it as well and an interesting story that's been told. So what do you think about characters who are ostensibly not very likeable? In The Suicide Squad, Peacemaker is an absolute arsehole of a character and does horrible things and it seems to be, although they're kind of dealing with it and contextualising it, it's almost too quick a move to make him the hero of the piece when he was the villain in the film and doesn't really deal with how unpleasant a character he can be. It feels like the softening for the TV series. Mm. And obviously his dad is um, probably my favourite character in it. Just an absolute horrible, hideous. hideous piece of work with no redeeming features whatsoever. Like wearing clan hoods and yeah. all sorts of things. Um, but he's just played but He's with, your favourite character. Well, he's just played with such relish and fun by Robert Patrick, who in real life is actually famously a really, really nice guy. Mm-hmm. So he's pl- playing kind of the complete opposite and he's having the time of his life with it really like scenery chewing, but in a, in a good way. He chews scenery. Scenery chewing. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about Seven City. It's a complete story, I would say. This isn't that. A- it is, yes. There mm-hmm. is going to be another series, yep. but uh, this does feel like it follows the right arc and you feel like you've got somewhere by mm-hmm. the end of it. See, I don't mind that, you see. Mm-hmm. I don't mind if the things go on and on, but each series should have an yeah. arc. So I can go, I'll mm-hmm. dip out now, I'm satisfied, rather than be mm-hmm. left with too many answered questions. And um, Picard did that as well. Mm. Picard season two is telling a story like a separate volume. Mm. If someone has not seen The Suicide Squad, would they be okay with this? Or do you Absolutely, need to know yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter. You get enough backstory and fill in on the characters to know, mm-hmm. where, know where you are. God, the shock shit though, isn't it? Suicide squad. I like the, the shark. shark. I hate the shark. Oh, it's hilarious, oh. isn't it? I'll swear and bite people's heads off. Is that Stallone? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, that's my Stallone impression. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> it's awful. Just imagine a talking rhinoceros having a stroke and that gives you your Stallone impression. <laughs> Can't do it. I know where you love. <laughs> Sam Neill in. Don't know Beaky what that was. <laughs> Sam Neill's in Beaky Blinders. Yeah. He plays the Ulster um, policeman. And he goes, I know where you love. <laughs> I know, Brian Kai. I know, Brian Kai. <laughs> Brian Kai. That, that, that's how I was taught to get into the Northern Irish accent. That and uh, Parshar. <laughs> what? Parshar? Parshar. No idea. <laughs> Parshar. What's that? Does anyone know is what that, is that, she's is that pressure? About? Like. <laughs> Was it Parsha? <laughs> yeah, if you if you need to cleanse yourself, but you need to um, power thor- shower. thoroughly cleanse okay. yourself. Oh, yeah. Parsha! <laughs> Parsha! No uh, wonder. Excellent. 
Yeah. <laughs> I was taught there was you had to say um, 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 dirty tree and a turd. Dirty tree and a turd. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies to anybody from the beautiful Ever Isles. My terrible, appalling <clears throat> accent. And if I've offended you, then go to fuck. <laughs> get to fuck, I think it is. So get to fuck. <laughs> fuck is a lovely place, actually. I've been. <laughs> oh, dear. What are we talking what about? What accents do you do, John? <laughs> Yorkshire. Do you do Yorkshire? Go on. Do Yorkshire. E by gum, I'm off down pit. It's a bit, it's a bit stereotypical, isn't it? It is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, we're, we're not very good at that. Is we don't, we've not had pits for twenty years. Bloody Thatcher. And Peter, what, what accent can you do? Uh, barely English. <laughs> not an accent, is it? All oh, right, language. name an accent. I will amuse you by nothing. Of it's already funny. <laughs> <laughs> I will try to. <laughs> <laughs> I will find you. Got to do. <laughs> get to the chopper. <laughs> come see, come see. I will try to shrug a lot and speak in French. <laughs> Bit stereotypical. <laughs> Bit stereotypical. Better than your Yorkshire accent, though. Hazel, what accents can you do? Uh, Cockney. Can you? Uh, <laughs> I'm going to look away and just see if I can hear a Cockney. Yeah. Get out of my pub. <laughs> <laughs> see, that was perfect. <laughs> I didn't know Cockney was in Australia. What's wrong with my Cockney accent? <laughs> <laughs> Every other syllable. <laughs> so, um, how many 80s hair metal tracks out of 10 would you give? Like a very strong nine. Good reviews this uh, week. Kind of like Twisted That's Sister. What, how it's supposed to work, John. You're supposed to like the thing that you're reviewing. But I don't like things generally. That's true. So, did you like the thing you're going to review this week? I, I I did, but then other people pointed me to its many many flaws, <laughs> and now I'm conflicted. Yes, I was in the same group as you. It was it was a bit depressing this morning, wasn't it? Yeah. So um, I'm going to talk about because it's available for download, and it's not streaming at the moment. It's a single purchase rather than being on streaming services. But Spider Man No Way Home has actually come to our home after several months in the cinema, where it made an obscene amount of money, even pre-pandemic. I think you know the. the They'd have been pleased with the hundreds of millions of pounds they've eked in. Billions. For, and uh, this is the third Spider-Man film in which is kind of quite of a loose trilogy, um, starting with Spider-Man Homecoming and then Spider-Man Far From Home. Do you find the titles really confusing with these movies, remembering keep, which one's which? Yeah, I keep mistakenly calling this one Far From Home, just because they're so similar. And obviously this is the uh, Tom Holland series that brought Spider-Man kind of into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it follows on directly from the end of Far From Home, where Mysterio and the Daily Bugle editor... The Daily Bugle? Daily Bugle. You're not with the Daily Bugle. <laughs> Bugle. Bugle. <laughs> it's where you just harass Google employees by pointing at them and booing. <laughs> the Daily Bugle editor, J. Jonah Jameson, have revealed Spider-Man's identity to the world which I think is the first time this has kind of been done in the movies. So the entire world knows that um, Spider-Man is, in fact, local high school student Peter Parker. And potential murderer. In the doctored footage from Mysterio, um, turns Peter Parker's life and that of his friends completely upside down. A few weeks of having to get off some murder charges with a very, very nice cameo that our fellow podcaster Ian Mayer will have been delighted by mm -hmm. until he finally decides that maybe the best way out of this is going, going to see his pal Doctor Strange to get a magical spell 
that will let the world forget that Spider-Man is Peter Parker. Doctor Strange casts his spell, Spider-Man kind of interferes it as he realises that there's certain people who he loves who he wants to keep sharing his secret with. And as a result, the spell is bungled and brings in people from across various universes, multiverses even, all of whom know Spider-Man's secret identity. So this is really is an excuse to give us a grab bag of heroes and villains from 20 years of Spider-Man stories. So we get Doc Ock and the Green Goblin from the Tobey Maguire films. Less excitingly, we get Electro <laughs> and uh, some reptile thing. Yeah, whatever. We'll see, and, and isn't it Sandman? The Sandman. Sandman. From Sandman, the Raimi yeah. films, yeah. 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 From, well, from the third one. Mm-hmm. Emma Step. Understandably, the most screen time is given to Doctor Octopus and Green Goblin. And we also, I think we can go spoilers now, can we? Because we've all I, seen I this. So. We also get uh, previous Spider-Man from the previous franchises all coming together for a big humdinger of a climax. <clears throat> I really, really enjoyed it. It's a big celebration of all things Spidey. That your, your inner Marvel geek is going like, ee! every 10 minutes as <laughs> something exciting turns up. The actors are uniformly great in it, particularly Willem Dafoe. Yeah. Mm. They finally smashed that terrible plastic mask he was forced to wear in the first film. I mean, the weird thing is the face looks like that anyway. Yeah, he can really ju- didn't he, need that yeah. mask. He can just pull the facial expressions yeah. and pull it off without needing that mask. It's 10 times better. Some of the minor villains don't get an awful lot to do. Rightly, I think. They don't have as much to say. Uh, I was surprised how much screen time um, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield got. They, you know, I was, If anyone saw the Ghostbusters Afterlife, I was expecting that kind of thing. I was expecting them to turn up for maybe two minutes at the end. But, you know, they, they, they have big character arcs themselves in the last half of the film. But it still manages to keep being Tom Holland's story and gives him an emotional journey with an ending that is controversial. I know certain people hated the ending, but I can understand why people were upset, particularly given how popular some of the characters are and how well-loved some of the relationships are. Yeah, uh, this is Dan's... Why can't they just be happy? Exactly, (laughs) yeah. yeah. (laughs) Without going into too much detail, there's an ending that leaves Peter separated, potentially permanently, from his group of friends and having to live life with nobody knowing who he is and without any of his support groups. So it leaves him in quite a dark and sad place. Which I really like about that. I like those kind of those those dark, sad endings. You know, these superheroes, you know, mm. you may have these special powers, but it comes at a cost, you know. Yeah. A price. With great power comes great responsibility yeah, and all that and stuff. Yeah, and that's the first time we've heard that phrase in this series of films, mm. I think, yeah. isn't it? Mm. You know, and mm. the, the, the first time he comes to realise what that means... I think it's important for a superhero film to actually have stakes because mm-hmm. we always talk mm. about there's no stakes because nobody re- ever really dies. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think I think Blade's going to have some stakes. Oh. <laughs> 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 um, but there are consequences and mm-hmm. um, these are quite serious for Mr. Peter Parker. I cried. I had a little tear. Mm. Sorry about that, John. I was, yeah. I was doing my best. <laughs> <laughs> a bit down, a bit hard. Sorry, Sorry about that. Okay. Back to cry wanking. <laughs> <laughs> so I really enjoyed it while I watched it, but uh, then you go and you think about it afterwards, and th- th- there's a couple of issues with it. That really, the plot makes very little sense and doesn't st- stand up to a great deal of scrutiny. But you're having enough fun while you're watching it that that doesn't really matter. I think Alfred Hitchcock called it a fridge moment. 
in the middle of the night when you open your fridge and get something out to eat, you go, hang on, that film made no sense. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it might make more sense after the Doctor Strange sequel? Potentially. We might find out a little bit more about this spell. The, the other problem with it was it was kind of tonally all over the place. Spidey films have been quite lighthearted so far. And this seemed to veer between the lightheartedness of the previous ones and then much more serious things happening and that it felt a bit jarring in places, particularly um, at the ending. But if you were crying, it clearly got you. It, it did get me, yeah. But then you, I was crying at one point and then five minutes later they're all making puns and jokes at each other and you go, well, yeah. something horrible has just happened. Well, I, I enjoyed it very much, but at the same time, problem for me was tonally it kept changing and that occasionally I would switch off and then go oh what's the story I think I've switched mm-hmm. off for a few seconds I'm not quite sure what it, so it felt very disjointed one thing I did like though I liked the attempt of Peter Parker to cure the baddies yeah he tried to cure octopus and mm-hmm. people like that I like the idea that he felt that he mm-hmm. had a responsibility to try and help them it's very much in keeping with this interpretation of the character of somebody who wants to help people rather than hurt them and that his first reaction rather than to try and kill a villain yeah. is to help them and understand them. Yeah. I thought it was very authentic because he's still a kid, he's still a teenager and your first instinct as a teenager is to be selfish and that is part of growing up and then he sort of realises consequences of his actions and he tries to go around trying to undo the things that he's done. I thought that was really authentic. Mm. Um, it's, yeah, you've done something and then you think, oh, what have I done? And try and clean up your own mess. And could, wouldn't we all like to go back and change things? But yes, dearly. Another thing I really liked, liked uh, which tickled me, I don't know why it did as well, I suppose I know why, is that they, you know, when the other two spider men turn up, mm-hmm. they don't pretend to be the age that they were when they first made the no. movie. It was okay for to age. Brilliant, yeah. I really enjoyed that. And I have never seen the Andrew Garfield movies, mm. but... You're more inclined to now? Yeah. Well, no, maybe not. No. <laughs> uh, no. He was... He, I think he was one of my favourite parts of the movie, and he made fun of himself. Um, so there's a, as a there's a moment where they're trying to label each other as um, because they were getting confused in the fight. So, so Tom Holland was Peter 1, and then Toby Maguire was obviously Peter 2, and um, Andrew Garfield said, Peter 3, like knowing that he is the worst Spider-Man. <laughs> the, uh, you know, the, his his films were not critically revered. There's a bit where they're talking, it's like, Andrew Garfield, like, so you went to space and you fought all this, I fought a rhino. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, there's probably, it, it depends on your opinions and how you feel about in-jokes between yeah. movies because there's quite a lot of those. I think it's fair enough if you don't get them though. I mean there's also a thing the the meme of Spider-Man pointing at each other which mm-hmm. it plays yeah. with a little yeah. bit and there's a bit where uh, I think Toby Maguire calls Andrew Garfield's um, says no, no you're amazing Yeah, which is obviously because his are the amazing Spider-Man. Yeah. I also like the fact that the original Spider-Man has the webs actually coming out of his body <laughs> yeah. rather than the gadget because yeah. they're going, wow that actually comes out of you <laughs> yeah. and then where else does it come out yeah, of? Yeah, yeah, all those jokes <laughs> But um, also, Toby Maguire complaining about his back hurting was a nice little oh, yeah. meta joke. But there were, it, it didn't overwhelm me with those sort of things. There were little lines that were a nice gag if you got the gag, but mm-hmm. also worked in the context of the film. This run of three movies, certainly the first two, have been really good with his support network. The character played by Zendaya and his friend Ned. They were maybe a little bit shortchanged here, but it's totally not surprising given how much other stuff it has to pack mm-hmm. into the movie. We didn't get an awful lot of Peter as a high school student. The more um, distant characters like the school teachers and Flash Thompson, some of the other ones were all quite fun characters and they didn't get anything other than very, very short cameos in this. 
But again, you say it's so packed with so much stuff. So um, how many Miles Morales missing would you give this movie? I'm surprised he wasn't in there. It's a solid eight. Solid eight. It would have been nine first thing this morning before (laughs) our friends got online and started picking holes in it that I now can't unsee. So that's our recommendations for this week. Something uh, that only two of you have seen and that I think you quite strongly disagree upon, so we, we, we don't know whether it was a recommendation or not, was Nightmare Alley. Impromptu nerd court, go. Nightmare Alley. <laughs> oh. Okay. <clears throat> um, g- g- what's his name? Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> One of his latest movies. Uh, Nightmare Alley is uh, a drama that uh, explores the wicked world of um, snake oilery that is mind reading and clairvoyance. I knew you were going to say that. Very good. Uh, the movie starts off in a, in in the classic sideshow circus world, where a young out of work man learns the craft of fooling people out of their money by reading them, and then moves on to become a successful kind of medium mind reader themselves. That's kind of the basic for the story, isn't it, Peter? I loved it because obviously he's a, normally a, a horror director, and it's not a horror movie, but it has a sense of a horror movie. It still feels really dark and scary in places, even though there's no supernatural element to it. I thought the uh, Bradley Cooper's performance was really fantastic. I thought all the whole cast was great. And also Tilda Swinton puts in a brilliant job as, the, as a psychiatrist who de- directly plays against his skills. Uh, it was a thoroughly enjoying, beautifully painted, well-crafted hour, two hours of entertainment that reflects, I think, or certainly very influenced by the original film uh, Freaks from the 1930s. Mm -hmm. That was my take on it. Why did you hate it so much, Peter? Peter, (laughs) prosecutor, go. Hate hate is going too far, but I felt it could have been so much better, really. Uh, I felt the initial stuff, which all deals with the sort of carnival and the weird sort of slightly grotesque look of things like Freaks that you mentioned. I would have liked it so much more had it been, say, a Jean-Pierre Jeunet or someone like that. You know, City of Lost Children sort of look to it. All just that much weirder and freakier. It could have been a bit more extreme in that part of it. I thought overall it was a bit too long. I thought it lacked interest in the, the last two thirds where they're busy trying to pull a con off. And I felt Bradley Cooper didn't quite have the charisma and charm necessary to be a con man. Mm. I think those are the things I had problems okay. with. Okay, yeah, well, I definitely disagree with you okay. at that point. <laughs> That's allowed. But no, I can see where you, I can see where you're coming from. What I will say though is uh, one of the things I really enjoyed was the um, obviously telegraphed ending. Oh yeah, that you kind of knew something happens at the beginning, and you know that's going to return at the end, and it's very satisfying that it does. It's one it. of the better things about it. it. Yeah, it's it's a fitting end to the movie. Mm. Well, that's what we'll say. So, how many um, three-legged dogs with extra noses would you give it out of ten? <laughs> I would give it a low seven. A low seven. I think I would give it a eight and a half. Mm. So one point difference between them then after those <laughs> contrasted reviews. One and a bit. Yeah. Have you ever tried to pull a cut off Ian? Yeah, I used to work in prisons. Yeah. Uh it's yeah, they get they get quite lonely. Yeah. <laughs> they get lonely but quite you know, quite demanding. Mm-hmm. What's the biggest thing you've ever gotten away with? Um, a space hopper from Saber Center in Washington, 1973. It was fully inflated as well. 
Couldn't catch you. Where did you hide it? <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> I just got visions of Ian bouncing around a car park being chased by security guards. <laughs> with the Benny Hill theme playing. Yeah. <laughs> What's the biggest thing you ever got away with? I'll tell you what, I will confess today. Um, <laughs> and I can't actually remember your name, so I can't do a um, proper it's apology. Ian. It's Ian. Um, <laughs> she was looked at me when she said, <laughs> I know. Yeah, what have you done, what you done to Peter? But uh, okay. year six, St. Andrew's uh, Primary School, I did steal your um, Chelsea FC shiny sticker. I'm sorry. Hang on, the phone's ringing. <laughs> <laughs> is it crime watch? <laughs> and um, to my A-level psychology teacher, it was me who put those Maltesers in your kettle. <laughs> <laughs> someone, at, someone at our school once put a bag of weed in the deputy head teacher's desk and then called the police. Uh. <laughs> wow. That's brilliant. Yeah. What a waste of a bag of weed. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and that is all for this episode of Nerdfest. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back in a few weeks' time. Until then, please leave us a review and follow us on social media at Nerdfest UK if you don't already. John and Ian, what is this week's reward for anyone who leaves us a review? I'm going to put Spider-Man No Way Home on a TV for you to watch if it's a bad review, I'm going to put Ian Mayer and Dan Watkins at either side, <laughs> sucking all the fun out of it. And uh, yes, if you give us a bad review, I will come to your place of residence and uh, poo through your letterbox. <laughs> because I know where I love. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, you've been listening to... A man who can't do an Ulster accent. <laughs> A man who loves peace so much, he'd be happy to kill every last one of you. <gasps> a man who's just realised he's an innie and has been doing nothing but this podcast for the last 15 years. <laughs> That's why you are who you are. <laughs> and a woman who looks forward to having no memory of ever making this podcast. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. I know where you love. Yes, Ian, you do. You come on quite a lot. <laughs>I want you to do an impression of a duck being refused entry to a nightclub because it's wearing trainers. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) John, you have to do an impression of of a cow um, realising that it, it, its lottery numbers came up, but it didn't actually put the ticket on. (laughs) (laughs) Peter, you got to do an impression of a a kangaroo Mm. um, trying to move through a library quietly. (laughs) 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 Ian? Yes? (laughs) You have to do an impression of a chimpanzee yeah. who wants to show their zoo mate affection but doesn't know how. I've heard that noise before. <laughs> John, I'd like you to do an impression of an octopus who's just successfully qualified as a dentist.
And everybody, we should do it. Let's all do, after three, do an impression of the end of the show. <laughs> One, two, three.